Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Hebrews 13, 1-6 Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have been entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as, in, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love and money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you. There was some question if I would get winded doing this. So you all can be the judge if I start breathing heavy. All right. Well, as we jump into our text this morning, there are some commands for us to do that are pretty obvious and straightforward. But one thing we need to do as we come to commands in Scripture is to to realize the pattern of Scripture isn't just do this, do that. If you don't, you're horrible. Often critique of the Christian faith is that it's just a bunch of rules, and if I don't like those rules, then those Christians are just old crotchety people that are believing things that are ancient and out of date. But as we come to the text of Scripture, the pattern of Scripture isn't just a bunch of rules. The pattern of Scripture actually is sharing truth about God and and then a call to action in light of what you know about God. So as we come to the last chapter of Hebrews, it's helpful to be reminded, I mean, we've been in Hebrews for a while now. Some of you are like, I've only, I've only known Hebrews as I've come to this church. We really, you preach out of other books of the Bible? I know we've been in it a long time, but as we've been in this book, the first 10 chapters are the writer of Hebrews sharing with this people about the amazing glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the priests. Jesus is greater. Greater Jesus. Jesus, lots of Jesus in the first 10 chapters as we heard. So 10 chapters about Jesus, then a chapter about those who had faith toward God and see God working in their lives as they have faith toward him before there's a turn in chapter 12 to run a race. And we've been in that chapter for a few weeks about running the race. But just again, remember, the bulk is on Christ as we are called to, to do something. So that, that's what's in the backdrop as we run the race and as we come to even the last few verses of chapter 12. Before we jump in here, we, we read, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So right before we get these commands of action, there's a command to stand in awe. So even as we go through these few verses, 
Let's, let's go through them with Jesus at the backdrop, standing in awe at the holy God who sent his son for us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. And we thank you that he's the backdrop of the truths that we are going to apply uh, this morning and in the coming days and weeks and months. I pray, Lord, that we would rest in what Christ has done, not in our efforts to do what you've called us to do. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, the overarching theme of this morning's message is love others. Love others. We want to do that as a church. Obviously, we want to follow Jesus by making disciples that love God and love others. And as we come to talking about love at the very first verse, let brotherly love continue, it's helpful for us to just stop and again define. I don't want to assume that everyone knows what love is. There's plenty of great songs out there. I want to know what love is, or I want that. There's all, this, all these things about love, but love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is, is a commitment. Love is a commitment to self-sacrifice found, as, as we look at 1 John verse, or chapter 3, verse 16, that we lo- learn in the Bible what love is. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. You don't need to go any further for a definition of what love is. How, how do we know what love is? We know what love is because we look at Christ who laid down his life. He left his rightful place in heaven, the one who through all things, everything was created, and he came in the form of a man, and he went, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for the sins of those who would trust in him. And if you've never trusted in Christ, I would encourage you, I would exhort you to consider Christ because that's ultimately how we know love. The world is trying to say, well, this looks like love, this looks like love. No, this is what love is, that he went to the cross for us. So I wanna read that again, 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Our love is expressed in an undying commitment to one another. Those who are right around you, those who you're in small group with, those who are serving in Harvest Kids right now, those who are home because they've got sick kids or they can't be here. Like those, there's that undying commitment is what we need to display for the world. So our first point this morning is love the saints with enduring brotherly affection. Well, who, who is my brother? Everyone who is found in Christ. This, this phrase, brotherly love, is in the original, it's the word Philadelphia. And when I read that, I, mean, I think it's really great. Okay, you learn a Greek word, Philadelphia, and you're like, oh, I've heard that before. That's a city. I, I lived near that city at one time, and I find it very interesting that the fans of sports teams in that city don't quite line up with the name of the city, right? That's the one place I was like, wow, they threw beer bottles at their own team. Like, wow, how does that happen? But sadly, the church sometimes can look like that. The church is supposed to be characterized by this brotherly love, and yet it can look 
opposite than that. But brotherly speaks to how Christians should relate to one another, how family should look like. Because I know for some of us, when you mention family, that doesn't always bring up thoughts of, I want, I want that to be what our church looks like. You're like, yeah, my family, they're really messed up. Like, I, I'm glad I'm not in some of those experiences before. But no, brotherly love speaks to what family is supposed to look like. And actually, because of the blood of Jesus transforming the lives that are right here before you, this body can show the world what family is supposed to look like. So the families, like the ones that were up here that are raising their children, they can make it look different because of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've may have heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water. Because that's how some people describe like their commitment and faithfulness to family. Well, in the family of God, it's ratcheted up. It is true blood is thicker than water, but the blood that we talk about is not the blood that runs through our veins. The blood that we talk about is the blood of Jesus. That's what binds us together. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic background. The blood that binds us together is the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins that we are reminded of. Like when we took communion last week together, we want to be reminded of that blood because that's the blood that informs us of our commitment. Francis Schaeffer once wrote, through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. They have worn marks in the lapels of their coats, hung chains about their necks, even had special haircuts. I don't know about that, but apparently so. But there is a much better sign. It is a universal mark that is to last throughout all ages of the church until Jesus comes back. And John 13, 35 tells us what that sign should be. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you have love for one another. More than anything else, more than your life being changed or you doing good things, the thing that should set us apart from the world, that should scream loudly to the world, is the love that we have for one another. That's what the call is. And Francis Schaeffer goes on. He says, evangelism is a calling, but not the first calling. Building congregations is a calling, but not the first calling. A Christian's first call is to return to the first commandment to love God, love the brotherhood, and then love one's neighbor as himself. And, and unfortunately, the events of the last couple of years have revealed stuff about the church. They've revealed stuff about people's hearts. And even the word love has been attached to an action of some kind. Do this. If you do this thing, fill in the blank, then, then you're loving. Or if you don't do that thing, then you're loving. And there's a reason I'm not filling in the blank for you because some of those items are such a hot topic for people that you'd be completely distracted for the rest of our time in God's word. 
That's how volatile they are. But the Bible tells us what love looks like. It looks like this. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. I think it'll be up on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love looks like. I'm going to read it slowly. And I know you're familiar with these, but it's just so helpful and convicting to read God's word. Love is patient, also known as long-suffering. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Ask yourself the question, how much does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, reflect 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, honestly ask the question. Walk through that slowly. And ask the question when referencing in your mind the people that you disagree with. Because of course you're going to love the people that you agree with. It's easy. We agree. Because we're right. No, ask yourself the question. Because that's really the crux of it. You know, is brotherly love happening? If, if I were to go and ask Christians that you know, if I were to go and ask non-Christians that you know, if your life describes this truth about love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, what would they say? I challenge you. Ask some people who are close to you to give you their honest answer. So when you ask for someone for their honest answer, you do have to make a commitment. Okay, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong right away. I'm not going to bark at you. Like the, the hardest thing is, like if I'm going to ask my wife for an honest, her honest opinion, is she going to give me her honest opinion? If I'm like, give me your honest opinion. And she gives it and I'm like, oh, you're completely wrong. I can't believe that you, that you think that. No. I had to zip my mouth because God gave me two ears and one mouth and ask her and have her tell me. Or ask some of the guys in my small group, what do you see? I think that would be pleasing to the Lord because we want to be eager to have brotherly affection with others. We want to know, am I putting off a vibe that isn't love? And let God bring conviction through his Holy Spirit so that we can love. Not to feel horrible about things, but to grow. Because this is a clear command because Jesus loved us. And the call is to continue. Let love, brotherly love continue. There's a continue there. What that literally means is like let love remain. Like love starts. And that often happens. You get joined to a body of Christ or you start in a small group and love is there, right? During that honeymoon phase when nobody else can do wrong and this is just awesome until like somebody sins against somebody else. But but the author saying, no, let love continue. Don't be distracted by this other stuff. 
Because in 1 John 3.14, John tells us, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. A great example of this pursuit, there's something that George Whitfield wrote to John Wesley. So if you know anything about church history in our land, George Whitfield, John Wesley were great evangelists sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of people got saved, churches got started, but, but John Wesley and George Whitfield had different theological convictions. Enough so that some churches have split over it or churches have planted right across the street from one another because they disagreed because of those theological convictions, okay? So they had differences. But George Whitfield made an appeal in a letter. He said, my honored friend and brother, hearken to a child who is willing to wash your feet. So like he's saying, come, come to me. I want, I want to humble myself before you like a child to wash your feet. I beseech you by the mercies of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, if you would have my love confirmed toward you, why should we dispute when there is no possibility of convincing? Will it not in the end destroy brotherly love and insensibly take from us that cordial union and sweetness of soul which I pray God may always subsist between us? How glad would the enemies of our Lord be to see us divided? Oh, honored sir, let us offer salvation freely to all by the blood of Jesus and whatever light God has communicated to us, let us freely communicate to others. These guys easily easily could have gone on like bashing each other. But Whitfield understood the weight of these few words. Let brotherly love continue. So it does mean not just our body of believers. It can mean other bodies of believers in our community, praying for them. That's why I've sought to pursue relationships with other pastors in our community because we're on the same team. And Jesus died for our sins. And we're gonna be caught up together one day. And we're gonna be worshiping around the same throne. So friends, don't let secondary matters divide. When you look around and you're just like, I'm not quite the same as them, it'll just press in all the more. Love for others in the church is an outflow of our relationship with God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So this love that we have, it's rooted in something. It's not rooted in us just like putting on a happy face. It's rooted in the fact that God loved us when we were enemies. When we were enemies, he loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's lean in by looking at what God has done, what Christ has done for us, and let brotherly love continue. So that's love towards the brethren, but then there's another call in verse two to love strangers. So these are the people that you know, love strangers by showing hospitality. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So don't get distracted by the angel part. We'll get there. That sounds really cool, but do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. 
Hospitality is important. But hospitality isn't just having uh, people over to watch a game or to quilt together or whatever it is when you gather people who are like-minded like you and we gather and we just, we, just, we just call that hospitality. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality has a much deeper meaning in scripture. Hospitality has the flavor of opening one's home and opening one's life to others. I've been to plenty of Super Bowl parties where no one opened their heart to one another. People certainly opened their homes and they opened up the bean dip and all kinds of things like that. But this is opening your life to others because you don't really know someone until you've spent time in their home, sitting at the dinner table over a meal or interacting over the things of life. You don't really know someone until you see them in a conflict with their spouse. People apologize to me all the time when we're when Angie and I maybe spending time with another couple and they start to get into a conflict and they're just like really apologetic. We're like, no, we're really getting to know you. We do this too. You're really getting it. You know, you really know someone when you see, when you see all their efforts of pay, parenting seem like they're failing and just like crashing and burning. You really get to know someone when that happens. And that's good. So getting to know, I mean, I know families who have hosted other families. Let families come and live with them for a season of time. That may sound freaky scary to some of you, and, and it was for them, but yet God met them, and they, they, ex, they expressed hospitality to a deep level. So when you're gathering, let your hospitality go deep. And hospitality is prominent in the Bible. It's not just here. Romans 12, 13 says, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Those who are leaders in the church are called to be hospitable. But hospitality was not just reserved for the gifted. I know even when you say hospitality, you immediately come to mind certain people in the church that just like you're like, they're hospitable. You know, they're able to whip up a charcuterie cherry in five minutes or less. Like, how do they do that? You walk into their house, it's always just perfect. You're like, they do hospitality. People break into my house and they think somebody robbed the place. Like, no one wants to come to my house. Hospitality isn't for those who are gifted, though there are certainly those that are gifted to do hospitality in certain ways. But we are all graced to do hospitality because hospitality isn't about the food or how it looks. It's about how you're opening your life up to others and bringing them in. And the call here is hospitality towards strangers. And in the ancient world, that was crazy big deal because traveling was dangerous. You didn't have an app to tell you where to go and in 20 minutes you could get to any fast food joint you want and any number of hotels. It was dangerous. There were few inns, and the inns that there were, you didn't want to go to them. William Barclay noted this about the inns of the ancient time. It says, inns were proverbially miserable places from earth, earliest antiquity on. So, And he quotes a few uh, ancient writers. He says, in Aristophanes, the frogs, um, Dionysius asked Heracles, 
if he can tell him which inn has the fewest fleas. All right, that's written in their writings. Plato, in the laws, instances an innkeeper keeping his guests hostage. And, and there, this is real. Like, this is what it was like. And then this other one uh, puts innkeeping on the level of running a brothel. Okay, it wasn't, you know, Holiday Inn, come. The innkeeper might not let you go home. Like, that is the, the status of, of things. So hospitality was, was essential to, to help people not experience that. And many Christians suffered rejection by both their families and societies. So when they were traveling, they couldn't even go to the nasty places because they wouldn't be welcome. So it was important for Christians to display hospitality. But more amazingly, Christians displayed hospitality to strangers. It was crazy when you express hospitality to people that you knew or Christians that you knew that maybe knew someone that you knew. But they expressed hospitality to strangers and sometimes to the point of even being taken advantage of. And so it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That was the attitude of Christians towards foreigners, those on the outside, welcoming guests or strangers. I remember in college when I went to Kazakhstan on a missions trip and didn't really understand the significance of what was happening until I'd gotten a little bit older. I mean, we went and there were a couple of different homes we went into and they just laid out a spread. And I didn't necessarily think that was a big deal because I've been to, right, like I said, I've been to certain sports parties or at holiday time, people put out a spread of food. And then I realized like these people have nothing they put out the best of what they had, and they weren't going to probably have that again for another three, six, 12 months. Like the literal killing the fatted calf. I mean, they served us stuff that, I don't know that I would serve my guests, but for them, it was like really like, this is premium stuff. They got the most expensive stuff. They didn't just get, you know, the store brand chocolate milk. They got the organic, in-the-glass bottle chocolate milk to put out for us. I really wish it had been that. But they gave that, that. They were showing hospitality to us, and they didn't even know us. We had lived on the other side of the world, and they didn't know Christ. How much more should we have that attitude towards unbelievers, towards, towards those that we don't know? Friends, we were strangers when Christ took us in. Just remember that. We were strangers when Christ took us in. So, so here's some questions to consider. How are you, how are you just simply on a Sunday morning, how are you at greeting strangers? I know it can be hard, particularly for the introverts among us, Right, I get it. Like, it's, it's, it's hard. Well, I really don't get it because I'm not an introvert. I'm sorry. That was a lie. Forgive me for lying. I don't, I don't get introverts. But I am married to one and some are my children. But yeah, I, I get that. But, but remember, you were a stranger and Christ extended his entire life for you. 
How are you at? You just, I mean, you can even just start by, hey, have I met you before? I know that's how you don't even remember their name. You don't have to worry about if you already met them three times before. Because if you ask the question, it's on you. They can be like, yeah, you have. We've talked three times. In fact, we talked, uh, you know, five minutes ago down in kids' ministry. Like, it's all right. It's all right. Just let that go. That's, that's fine. But how are you at, at, at greeting folks? How about this? People who are different than you. If you're married, are there singles that you know, in our church and otherwise, that can find and give you directions to your dinner table? Or on the flip side, if you're single, how many of the people in the church can say they've seen the inside of your place? I get some of the families that have lots of kids and you might not be able to physically fit them in your space. That happens sometimes, but really, like people who are different. How many non-Christians can describe the inside of your home? Like describe it. Oh yeah, they've got a fireplace or they've got a potbelly stove or they've got a... This, you, how many non-Christians can describe that about the place that you live? How many backyard barbecues have you had with people who don't look like you? And I'm not just talking about color of skin, but maybe they just have chosen a completely different educational flow than you have, or you know, a different dress than you have, different political party than you've had. How many of those people have you spent time with at your house you don't have to know what to say. You don't. You don't have to come in like, okay, if I'm going to invite these people over, I'm, I'm going to make sure in the first five sentences I confront them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because this is a lot of work and I really need to share the gospel with them. That's why we're doing this. It doesn't say you must do that. I mean, yes, obviously, if you're opening your home, may God open the door for you to share Christ with them. And we'll pray for that. But are you displaying hospitality to strangers? Because you never know. It says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Like, what is that about? Entertaining angels. I mean, there is precedent in Scripture for this. I mean, Lot in Genesis 19 invites some guys in, and there's a crazy story behind it. We won't get into all of it, but there are angels. They're not just the average passerby. He doesn't know that they're angels, but they're they're angels, and the word angel does mean messenger, so it could be someone who's a messenger of God's blessing, but I think it's talking about like angels, like beings that were created to worship God and be messengers for God, angels. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. The person you may invite over may not be what they seem. The person you engage while you're traveling and you happen to be at a fast food joint getting some food, they may not be what they seem. The accent isn't 
let me figure out if they're an angel, because that would be really cool. I mean, to say that we had angels over for Thanksgiving would be really cool, right? I want to tell, we had some angels over for Thanksgiving. The accent isn't like, be nutso over that. Well, some, you might be entertaining angels, but hey, wouldn't it be even more amazing if you entertain someone who is created in God's image? So they might not be angels. In fact, most of the people that you entertain, or most of the strangers that you're going to entertain are not angelic beings. But they're created in the image of God. And they need to be reconciled to God through coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing would that be to have them in our homes? So hospitality, loving those that you don't know by having hospitality. And thirdly, there's a call to love those who are suffering. Look at verse three. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Since you're also in the body. Kind of, there's a turn back, going from loving strangers, inviting them in, and even this loving those who are in prison. I think it does speak to those just in general who are in prison, like visiting those, because most people don't visit those who are in prison or care for those who are in prison. They're kind of out of sight, out of mind. But it does, it does call us to love them, love those who are in the body those for whom Christ died. And to the original hearers, this was a big deal because in the ancient world, Rome saw these people as a threat to the prosperity of the Roman Empire. Christians were seen as a threat because they were angering the gods. Non-participation was equivalent to treason, which carried a death penalty. Kind of scary how some things seem like they could be happening now. Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor around 112 AD, and he said this in a letter to his supervisors, which was on a tablet, so it wasn't on like what we do, but, but he's got this letter. He says, Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with the punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed, for I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness, and inflexible obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. So not only were they experiencing that, if you cared for those who were being punished, you were seen as friends and you could open yourself up to the same punishment and harassment. So loving those in prison carried with it a far greater commitment than what we experience right now. And yet Christians did it. It was, it was expected it was said of Christians, if they hear of any of their number being imprisoned or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, all of them would provide his needs or her needs. If, and if possible, that they may be delivered, they would do whatever they needed to do to help them be delivered. And the call for us is one to have 
Have a sympathy for them. Now, certainly empathy, empathy is when you've had that experience and you can understand someone's experience because you've walked through that experience, but we all can't walk through that experience. But yet our sympathy shouldn't be something that's lighthearted because oftentimes when the word sympathy is used, people are kind of like, I don't want your sympathy. I don't want you to. No, but we are called to feel the pain of those who are in prison. We're called to take a step back and be grieved and then take a step forward and do what we can to pray for or to lighten the load. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But there's a great significance to this action because this action of loving those who are in prison, Jesus attaches to himself. If you keep your finger in Hebrews and flip to the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this about the the final judgment. He, He says this to some. He says in verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And down to verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. When we express care and love, it's attached intimately to Christ. We're not just loving that person. It's not just a horizontal experience. It's not just a horizontal action. It's both horizontal and vertical at the same time. Because as we care for them, as we remember them, we are ministering to Jesus. And there are practical ways that we can do that, friends. There are practical ways that we can remember. Certainly, we could go and visit those in in prison or in jails. Now, I know my Mother and father-in-law, they, they sign up once a month on a Sunday afternoon. They go to their local jail and they share Christ with people. They visit with folks. But there are ways we can be attached because though I would describe the original readers of this had those they knew personally in prison for their faith in Jesus Christ, there are those who are brothers and sisters in Christ that are in prison right now. Right now, in many places in the world, they are in prison. Every day, as we get up, and though it it seemed hard for us to get here this morning and, and get the kids dressed or to get ourselves awake, they were in a cold cell somewhere eating maybe some broth once every other day. We we need to remember them. In a few weeks, the national Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is kind of uh, identified by the Voices of Martyrs ministry. And so we're going to spend some time during the service praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are resources that they put out. One I just got in the mail. It's a prayer calendar that they put out that if you open up the prayer calendar, you know, there may be a picture of someone, but every day there's something that you can pray for believers around the world. I have one of these in my home office on the door not on the door, right next to the door above the light switch. So it reminds me. And even though it's right there, I can forget. But we want to put reminders. You can get an app on your phone and pray every day with people from around the globe. If you want one of those prayer calendars, just shoot me an email. I will buy you one. They're like a couple of bucks. 
Let's remember our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's easy. I know it's easy. We're busy with our lives. But that's why the call is here, because we get, we get busy. Now, as we've looked at loving others, loving our brothers, like loving the church, loving strangers, loving those who are in prison or in hardship, the first place we can easily go is, boy, I have blown it. You know, I feel horrible because I'm really not measuring up to any of those things. We can't do any of this on our own. The key is to look Godward. Where we started, we need to look Godward. That's why there's 10 chapters about who? About Jesus. Before we get to some of these application points, we need to look to Jesus and what he did at the end of the text that was read this morning so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. The Lord is your helper. The secret sauce to doing these things isn't, okay, I got to put some extra things on my to-do list. The secret sauce is to look Godward, to look Godward. Let God speak to you and change you and make these just part of the rhythm of your life. Don't add them to your life. Change your life so they are part of your life. Because there was a call at the end of chapter 12. Look back at your Bibles. Verse 28, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The call is to worship, and maybe today your worship is to put something on the calendar with one of your friends who don't know Christ. Maybe the call for you today is gonna be to send a text to someone that you need to get right with in the family of God or that you need to to pursue. Maybe the call for you to worship today is to get out your phone and download the app for the Voices of Martyrs so you can pray for them every day. And so we're gonna take some time. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up and we're gonna sing, but before we sing, because The worship of that we sing is part of worship, but our whole lives are meant to be one of worship. So as they come up and as they start to play some music, let's just take some time to pray. We're not going to gather into groups. Just pray right where you are and say, God, help me. It's okay. You can start there. Help me. And then ask the Lord, Lord, what, what of these three things that we have discussed this morning, do you want me to just take my one step to? Don't take a bite out of the whole thing. That's not, we're not gonna just give you a bunch of stuff, turn the hose on, and have you just lay on the floor and go, I just can't do nothing. No, God's, God's working. What is one thing that you want me to do, Lord? And in this moment, maybe the one thing, as, as you're praying, you're, you're gonna send a text to someone, hey, we need to meet sometime soon. Or hey, can we connect after church today? Maybe you're gonna do that while we're spending some time praying. So let's just bow our heads right now and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, but we're just gonna give some time to linger before we sing. So Lord, as we bow our heads, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us.
just, just take a few moments and, and listen. sympathy towards those who are suffering. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us in the midst of all that we have going on. Just running the race with endurance is hard. So taking these steps of action seem like even more hardness that's in front of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would direct our gaze, direct our affection and our attention to you, the one who pursued us when we were strangers, the one who stands at the door and knocks, calling and saying, open the door, I will come in. Father, show us yourself. And as we delight in you, show us the steps to take to bring you glory. And may we sense your pleasure as we take steps towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we take steps to those who don't know Christ. And as we are burdened for those who are in prison for the fame and proclaiming your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.